Welcome to the Ponder Anew podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and this season we're looking at the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and we're really focusing these weeks on the stories of Abraham. But this week we focus on a new character in the story, a new person named Hagar. And this is a pretty rough story, kind of the underbelly of Scripture. So, so tread carefully here, and uh, without further ado, let's get going. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what I want Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And he shall be a wild ass of a man, with his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord, who spoke to her, You are El Roy. For she said, Have I really seen God, and remained alive after seeing him? The last few weeks in the podcast, we've been working through stories about Abraham and his family, sometimes called the Abraham Cycle. And we've, as we sort of trace the arc of his sort of character and, and the growth and, and challenges there. But uh, there's many other people in this story besides Abraham. Um, you have his nephew Lot. You have um, uh, other sort of figures that come in and, and, and then leave sort of their... They're, they're seen, <coughs> the Pharaoh or Mechazeldech, these kings. 
Um, but you also have then again his ultimately his sons, Isaac and Ishmael. But I think most crucially you have uh, the two main women in the story, Sarah and Hagar. And we're introduced to Hagar in this chapter. And I want to reflect a bit on um, Hagar, in, in part because it, it starts to really get to the underbelly of the story of, of Abraham, the really, some of the really uncomfortable parts of, of the, the whole book of Genesis and certainly of, of Abraham's life, where things just um, seem to be, you know, just not good. Um, and I think that's important for us to spend some time in, in parts of the Bible that, that aren't good. Uh, but, but also, um, Hagar is probably somebody that we didn't sort of learn a lot about. If we sort of know something about the Bible, maybe Sunday school, just wanting the certification Bible school, want to teach us a little bit about Abraham and probably one of sort of the stories in which he does sort of, again, more heroic things. And I, so I think we probably haven't learned that much about Hagar. And what we know is that she is an Egyptian slave girl. And uh, we don't know, though, how Abraham acquired her uh, when she became and sort of was assigned to Sarah. If this was something that when they had left Egypt the first time and when Pharaoh just sort of had given them slaves almost as a dowry for for Sarah, if um, they got... Hagar as, as part of that? Was Hagar even the child of maybe one of the slaves that they had brought out of Egypt? Was this through other sort of growth and, and sort of dealings that Abraham had? We, we don't know any of, of this. Um, we just know that there, there she is as, um, as, a, as this total outsider. She uh, is not part of the same tribe. In fact, the Arabic people will perceive themselves or understand themselves as coming from Hagar. She's um, Egyptian, therefore also African, although that, I don't think they would have had the same sort of sense of those continents. Um, linguistically, um, the language of Egypt was different than sort of the language of the peoples of, of Canaan or the near Middle East, um, different even linguistic. Yeah, so just sort of in different languages. She comes in probably at a very different age than than, uh, Abraham and and Sarah. She has uh, no real uh, status there other than she's a servant girl. So she's the the total outsider. And I think uh, being an outsider is something that we can relate to. I think most of us at some point have felt like we're the outsiders. If there was a lineup of people, we'd be the one who would be chosen uh, that they were different because of, um, yeah, it could be something like language or tribe or, or more likely, you know, characteristics, interests, uh, so forth. And uh, that, that can be a really hard thing. I know right now our, our church is working with some refugees from Afghanistan, uh, and what a different, you know, talk about outsiders within the American sort of Lancaster County culture, uh, very, uh, a lot of challenges um, for, for them. And, and I sense that our world, especially as we witness what's happening in Ukraine and just the massive number of refugees, 
following then if only a few years after Syrian refugees. It's just just hard to imagine there's not going to continue to be great migrations of, of people and um, testing our capacity as societies to welcome the stranger and to, to make room for the outsider. And I think part of it is, uh, as we do that, I think getting in touch with those times in our life when we've been an outsider and sort of the empathy we can have for others. I, I know that for me, again, many times in my life, I've felt like a real outsider, whether it was growing up in an elementary school in which I was one of the only white kids in an all, almost all-black uh, school, um, just all of middle school, feeling like I was sort of a, 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 sort of a strange duck there. Um, but there are also times when being an outsider isn't necessarily a bad thing. And where being an outsider can allow us to have some, some really deep insights. Uh, when I traveled to Germany in my 20s, uh, I lived there for a couple months. And my first couple weeks, everything just seemed so strange. Everything. And it allowed me to offer my German friends a, a critique and tell them what was ridiculous about their country. And uh, one of them, who was older and really gracious, kind of really wasn't insulted by what I was saying, but just said, write them all down, because within six weeks, you'll no longer see them anymore. And and uh, this person was absolutely right, right? By six weeks, I no longer thought it was strange. I remember in Germany, they had this really strong custom where uh, even if no cars are coming, if they're at a crosswalk and it says don't cross, they don't cross. And I remember when I first got there, I thought this was the most ridiculous thing. You know, how, how would you not cross the street if there's no cars coming? But then after, you know, being there for a few months, I remember I watched somebody cross the street when they shouldn't have. And I gave them a dirty look. Like, how dare you cross the street when the crosswalk man says not to cross? Um, so, again, when you're an outsider, you can get some, some really profound insights. Um, I know that in a church, too, whenever uh, I, at this point I'm really blind to some of the stuff in, in my church that's not helpful or intuitive because I've just become part of the system. Whereas when I first got there, a lot of stuff stood out to me like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, so again, outsiders can offer a, a really helpful um, insight into situations. So yeah, one of times you've been an outsider where that has been really hard and uncomfortable for you. And one of times as an outsider that actually has given you some insight into the situation. It's going to turn out that in the cycle of Abraham as a whole, although Hagar is an example of an outsider really struggling, there are other times where, again, the outsiders, whether it's Pharaoh in Egypt we heard about or Mechizeldek, we didn't cover that in the podcast in chapter 14, who, who bring sort of this perspective of an outsider who has insight. Uh, Jethro in the story of Moses will, will do this. So again, again, the Bible is... Um, just plays a lot on the insider-outsider dynamic, and I think that's in part because that's part of the human experience, is to be both an outsider uncomfortably, but also to be an outsider who then has wisdom and insight that uh, those sort of on the inside can't, can't see. Well, th- what happens, though, is, is that um, Hagar is sort of invited in, <laughs> And when uh, she's invited in, uh, it's, you know, to basically be uh, a concubine or almost a surrogate, uh, most, most positively. And this sort of use of a concubine or a slave girl um, for uh, the purposes of, of creating an heir, a surrogate, 
is apparently not uncommon in the ancient world. Um, so I, I don't want us to judge too harshly um, their, their maneuver there. Um, but what I, what I want to offer um, is uh, that Hagar is abused. And, and this can often happen in social situations where an outsider wants to make a move to becoming an insider or is given permission to become an insider. This doesn't end sort of the, the treatment. They're still perceived as, as different, even though they're sort of on the inside. Um, but, but, but she's abused. And this is a story that's uncomfortable uh, for me. And in some ways, I don't immediately relate to it. But I've known a lot of people over the years who have been in situations of abuse. I think there's something powerful that uh, if you're an abused person, that your story is, is part of the biblical story as well. And there's uh, also something, um, the story of Hagar comes back. Uh, after she has this child, she's abused again by Sarah. And what's, and I remember sort of reading a scholarly commentary explaining that there were these two stories because of, of something in the oral tradition where they needed to sort of then integrate competing oral stories, you know, in, into this one written story. But uh, as I think about it, I, I actually, I think it makes sense that there's two stories. Because in, in this situation, um, the child, the, the woman, Hagar, is pregnant. And in this case, there's something sort of awful that, that the angel of the Lord says. The angel of the Lord says, you have to go back and basically submit yourself to abuse. And, and this seems like a terrible thing. But, but again, um, God's ability to work is often constrained, at least in the short term, by human sin. And I know a lot of people that have suffered abuse, um, gone through really terrible things in their family, but stick around. And it's not even so much out of love or loyalty, but the fact that they wouldn't be able to survive on their own. And, and so when she's pregnant, you know, a pregnant outsider who doesn't speak the language, um, sort of it's certain death for her um, if she's not able to be a part of this family system and the resources that Abraham has. So in this case, the, the counsel of the Lord, not necessarily God's preferred ultimate awesome option, but just the counsel is go back. Um, now it's attend, now there's a lot more there, but, um, I, but I, I also want to say that the second story though, in, in that one, um, she will not be told to go back. And, and I find that really fascinating. The Bible, again, spends all this effort on both stories, one showing somebody who's abused who has to go back to survive for their child and in another case where they're able to sort of break free and, and, and move away. And I, and I think that just shows the complexity, the moral complexity of situations that involve abuse within families and, and the decisions people have to make about when to, to leave and, and, and uh, for the sake of others and who stays. Um, so I, I just offer here that the, the Bible shows um, families being messy and sinful and, and God somehow there um, in a way that we don't always understand um, through sort of the ambiguities and complexities. And, and that God sort of gives different counsel 
God has something different in mind um, both times, neither of which are ideal, staying or going. <laughs> but at one point, the sort of the, the scales tip the balance one way and the scales tip the balance the other way. So I just want to gently acknowledge that there are stories of abuse in the Bible and that um, if you've been in one of those situations, if your family is a, is a family that has had abuse, I hope this story um, helps you find, find your place and, and maybe a sense of even um, where in the midst of that turmoil um, how God might have been acting in, in, in your life. Um, wow. So the so sort of then the next thing that I'd, I'd like us to ponder is that God meets Hagar in the wilderness when she's running away. And there's something really profound here that God hasn't sort of shown up in the story or in Hagar's life um, that we know of so far. In, in fact, we don't even have a sense that Hagar knows who Yahweh, this God of Abraham, is, right? She would have come with her own sort of gods or goddesses from, from her childhood, um, or who knows what she believes. And, uh, but this doesn't get in the way of, of God. Our lack of sort of theological insight or understanding who God is doesn't prevent God from working in our lives, and God shows up, and when God interacts with with her he meets her here in this you know moment of profound uh brokenness and what what god does in this profound brokenness is not be a genie in a bottle and give her all of her wishes god gives her a really hard word of counsel but then god also gives a really a, a promise something that she can be sustained on to say you know like look you know, your, your, your child is going to survive and um, there'll be a great multitude from him. And, and I just find that, uh, again, God shows up uh, for us often in the, the most difficult times. That's when sometimes God's presence is the, the most real and uh, the most intense, um, even if in those moments we don't always sort of... Uh, God doesn't behave like the genie in the bottle that we would like. Um, but God does search her, her out and, and find her. And then uh, the Lord is named by Hagar. And this sort of really brings the outsider dynamic to its, what I was talking about, about insight earlier, that, that here um, she is and she has an insight about who God is that Abraham doesn't. And she's the first person in the Bible that um, is, is given permission or, or simply takes it by the, by the horns and says, this is who you are, God, and names God. Um, and it's just so powerful here that this outsider who's new to who this God is has an insight about, about who God is. And, and one of the things I love about working with people who are new to the faith is that they often not only ask great questions, but they're often willing to just sort of come to these understandings of, of, of who God is as God works in sort of the, the craziness and, and brokenness of our lives. And, and the name there that she gives God is El Roy, the God who sees or God who provides or God who provides even for me. 
um, that God sees things. So she, she has this experience that uh, Abraham doesn't, that Sarah doesn't, as she's on the margins and, and pushed and can only trust in, in God alone at, at this point. So I'll just end by asking um, one really deep and then one maybe not so deep question. And, and one really deep question is, what, um, how, well, how has God met you in times of, of trial and crisis? Um, and uh, what have you learned about God in those moments of trial and crisis? And um, what names do you pray to God? And in fact, in times of crisis, has your name for God, the name you call on in prayer, needed to change? I, I think, again, in certain phases of our life, we may actually change the name that, that we, we call on, on God for, as our previous understanding of God is no longer adequate or has just been uh, brilliantly sort of replaced by something more deep and, and truer to the new experiences that we're having. So hopefully this reflection with, with Hagar today about being an outsider and um, going through really hard times, again, uh, abuse, the, the dynamics there of, of, of how God shows up in those situations, um, and, and then this sort of naming of God by, by Hagar, hopefully some good stuff for, for you to, to ponder this day.